Looking to organise an event or break into events? Or perhaps you're already a seasoned organiser? No matter where your experience sits, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Events Unpacked podcast. Learn how to go from good to great, how to embrace industry challenges and activate success in your organisation or career. Now welcome your host, Francesca Peskovs. Today, I'm chatting to Matt Whisker, who has transformed the way American Express deliver their experiential events and experiences to Australia, Asia and beyond. Matt is one of the most passionate industry professionals I know, a genuinely nice guy who conducts himself with respect and honesty to everyone from suppliers through to agencies. We will hear about his current role, along with his really cool side hustles, what inspires Matt and where he gets his original ideas from. If you are interested in creativity and how to engage through emotional connection, then this is a must-listen episode. Good morning and welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks so much for having me, Francesca. It's uh, great to connect. Yeah, great to have you on. Lots of exciting topics to cover as you're a very busy man with some fabulous stories to share. Let's get on with it, hey? Sounds good. So you are Senior Manager Global Experiences and Brand Partnerships at American Express. To kick off proceedings, please enlighten the listeners on your current role at Amex and the style of events, scope of work and say your team here in Sydney or any other locations. Absolutely. Um, so, Francesca, we work in a, actually in a division called Global Commercial Brand Engagement, um, which is a little bit of a, a clue, I guess, as to what we do here at American Express. So, we represent the commercial side of the business, which more simply put is the business arm. So, our customers are really all sizes of business from your small business entrepreneur all the way up to our larger corporates and what you would refer to as like the top end of town. My team has what's called a regional role, which means that we support multiple markets within Asia-Pac. So Australia, New Zealand, India, Hong Kong, Singapore and Japan. It's really quite an interesting role. As as you can probably imagine working in experiences, you're you're designing for for humans. And so working in a a region like Asia-Pac, where you have not just six different cultures, but uh, six quite diverse cultures, it's both a challenge but also complete enjoyment to you know learn about how humans interact and, and how they respond to different things and, and how we can build that engagement with them. Yeah, I mean, straight away my head's swirling thinking about how you're doing, you know, the same product essentially but in so many different locations. So do you have a team in each of the locations that you work with? Uh, we have a team based here in Australia and then we work with our marketing and our account management and sales partners in all of the, the markets around the globe. And uh, I should have mentioned as well, we support all different styles of experience. So, uh, you know, we work both on the customer and the the non-customer or what we call the prospect side. And we support everything, again, from your highly curated dinners where you might have eight to ten senior people at the table. And that's all about sort of relationship building all the way through to a trade show, which is about, you know, generating leads and prospecting. And you'll have maybe 30 or 40,000 people at the trade show and sort of everything in between. So as you can probably tell, you use that phrase, you know, your head spinning. Sometimes ours does as well, but it's a, it's a really diverse role. Yeah, great. And, you know, the prospecting side, I gather, comes as well from you know, even the bespoke events, I guess, that you're doing, the smaller ones that, you know, if it's the top end of town, do they sort of, you know, it's word of mouth and they bring along people along as well and they have, can have invited guests. So it's not just always cold in terms of how you generate your leads, is it? 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, ultimately what we're tasked with doing within Experiential is developing an emotional connection with the brand that we represent. It's, it's a much about, as much about creating an experience that does that, but also creating an experience that people can share with others, you know, whether it's a, a colleague that they bring along or it could be their partner, maybe a child or a grandparent or a parent. We see all uh, style of, of people coming along to our experiences and it ultimately is about building brand equity for American Express. The future children of um, American Express. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. It sounds a bit. It sounds a bit dodgy, but it's not right. So, um, yeah, obviously, my next question was around the importance that the live experiences hold to American Express. You know, how does it fit into the customer journey and ultimately the marketing mix? And I gather from what you're saying, it's a pretty important part of um, you know really connecting with the customers during the journey. It is important. You know, pre-COVID, there was a, a very strong emphasis on live events. And I think that experiential marketing was having really its heyday pre-COVID. Um, this has obviously been impacted by our inability globally to do face-to-face experiences. Uh, we're very lucky here in Australia where, you know, market conditions and, and, and sentiment is returning to some semblance of normal, albeit a revised normal. Of course, you know, a lot of colleagues who may listen to this around the world aren't as fortunate as, as us in Australia right now, but hopefully they're heading in the right direction. But it's interesting, um, Francesca, we, we had a, a survey, our insights team here at American Express conducted one late last year, it included data and responses from 5,000 of, of our card members. And what that data pretty much showed was despite everything that everyone had gone through over the past 12 months, uh, 60% of people would still prefer to attend live events versus virtual events if they were given the choice and if safety uh, was was paramount. Um, what I would say, though, is I don't think virtuals go anywhere anytime soon. What the, the lockdown and, and the social isolation has introduced from an experiential perspective is that content really is king. You know, people wish to consume content. They wish to do it on their own terms. And not just when brands like American Express or any other brand say that they should do that. So I think now it's really how we differentiate ourselves as a brand as that virtual space is so saturated and it's quite hard to get cut through. Yeah, I think it is really saturated. I mean, and it's also, I guess, comes down to that term that you hear a lot now is hybrid events and offering sort of a mix of the virtual and the live connection and letting people kind of dial in or engage at the touch point that they think they want to do, just like you said, they're on their own terms. So Yeah, spot on, spot on. And, you know, one of the pre-COVID sort of critiques of Experiential was that live experiences sometimes had a lack of scale. You know, you'd make like a a large investment and and you wouldn't get the return on that investment because you don't have that scale. And I think that in, in, the, in the form of normal, senior executives and people who made these financial decisions, they were tolerant of that because of that emotional connection that was offered by experiential. But now I actually think we have an incredible opportunity with virtual experiences to get that scale and, to your point, you know, make things available to customers on demand when they want to see it. So sort of coming back to your question about the marketing mix, I think nothing can operate in isolation and, and every channel plays a part. Yeah, and it does extend the journey, doesn't it? Because you've got that pre-conversation, you know, the actual event and then post as well. So you're getting a lot more leverage throughout, you know, your concept. And then you also have an extra level of measurability because, you know, you can measure the digital side quite easily, which is good. 
Yeah, spot on. And in fact, we're creating a lot more digital content now, whereas in the past, if we had an in-person experience, that would be an additional line item on the budget, which we didn't always invest in, right? So we're kind of getting that added benefit. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, And then, you know, obviously you can record your events and, you know, um, use them to promote future events as well. So that's quite exciting, isn't it? Yeah, very, very much so. So, Lana, let's chat about your career. On your LinkedIn, you have what I would call, I guess, a tagline. Eat, sleep, experience, repeat. I love it. (laughs) Um, Please share with us how you came to your role and to producing experiences or, you know, was there like a key pivotal moment in your career where you really sort of tapped into this? I got to tell you, you know, in terms of the the events industry, this is definitely the best role that I've ever had, and, and I'll tell that to anyone who wants to listen to me. You know, for the first time in in sort of twenty years working in in corporate roles, Francesca, I really feel like my passion and my paycheck are the same thing. Um, I've had prior roles in corporate where I pursued my passion more as a side hustle. Uh, maybe we'll get to that a bit later, um, and that was used to sort of satisfy my creative side. But now I do it every day. And there's two things that I really get a kick out of in my current role. The first thing is the creativity. So the the time that I get to invest in the creation and curation of experiences. But then secondly, what I really love is in watching other people go through those experiences that me or my team or our agency partners have created. Watching the emotional reactions that we elicit from people is, is I just get such a kick out of that. You know what, it doesn't always go to plan. Uh, but it does, uh, thankfully it does a lot of the time and when it's done right, it's pretty magical. Yeah. Like I think that's part of the, why we do it, isn't it? I mean, you know, it is such a risk, you know, you're putting your head on the block really with an idea and you don't know until you're in front of people delivering it to them or an audience. So yeah, I mean, it is a human sport, isn't it? So it could go really well or it couldn't. So when it goes really well, it's just, you know, it's magic. Spot on. Yeah. Is there a, you know, obviously a bit of self-reflection here, I guess. What is there a best skill or like a personal attribute that, you know, has really helped you succeed in this industry? This podcast, whilst it's about creativity, production, technology, virtual, all the other sides of things, people really want to hear from people who've made it in the industry, how they can progress or just learning from other people. Uh, I actually think you that you've answered your own question. Yeah, for me, there are lots of skills that go into making a successful events person. But I think if you want to lift yourself above being essentially a project manager and someone who just brings events from start to finish and executes on a plan, creativity is that thing that's going to lift you over and above a lot of other people in the industry. When I started studying, I did a filmmaking degree and I did that because I wanted to create stories for other people. So for me, each day, ideas kind of pop into my head at really random moments. Um, And now working for an incredible brand like American Express, I have the opportunity to actually kind of bring some of these crazy ideas to life. It's funny, uh, before I worked in this sort of field as as a full-time role, I always thought and I knew that I wanted to be what you would, what someone would refer to as like a creative person. And I always didn't realize that this was actually a profession. This was an industry. And I'm kind of feeling like, hang on, you, we get paid to do these amazing things. This is, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, it isn't for everyone, I must say. And, you know, you have studied quite a lot. Um, I mean, I've done quite a bit of study as well. And I know what sort of I've taken away from that. Um, is there any sort of advice to people around the whole study side of thing? I know you've completed an MBA, which is a lot of reading and a lot of project management and collaboration. 
what sort of, you know, these days, you know, I mean, events and working in our industry is a lot more, it's a recognized industry than when it was, you know, say 20 years ago. So how can people, you know, excel and benefit from study? Well, funnily enough, the the degree that I did in film film making was actually very much a teenage mat choice. (laughs) I wanted to do something creative. I, I knew that I wanted to do that, but I didn't have the maturity to see that you know, there's a very low chance of actually making a good living out of that, particularly here in Australia where filmmaking is very much a minority profession um, or it's something rather, I should say in, in better words, something that's not hugely backed by government versus another country like Denmark, for example. But what it did do for me, Francesca, was it scratched the creative itch. It allowed me to, to meet some really creative people, you know, some of whom I'm, I'm still in touch with today. The MBA sort of study that I was did already, postgraduate study, I think that's good from an educational perspective because of firstly the general business acumen that you get, which is really helpful whenever you're working in a corporate environment and your stakeholder groups are general managers or financial people. We think differently sometimes and on different levels. So that's helpful. But what I really enjoyed about the postgrad study that I did is the networking because you're meeting people from all walks of life, all sorts of different industries, and all of them are there to better themselves. So I would find myself there at these lectures in the evening having these incredible discussions with people, as I said, from all different age groups and and demographics and so forth. But you just take away so much from that. And so that exposure I'd really recommend. Um, The last thing I'd say is since COVID hit, I've actually been digging into a system called LinkedIn Learning. So this is something which is really accessible to anyone. Hopefully everyone listening to this has a LinkedIn profile. You might have actually found this podcast through LinkedIn. But what I've loved about LinkedIn Learning is, which is essentially the educational arm of LinkedIn, it's a much more approachable, a much more snackable learning system. So unlike post-grads, formal postgrad study where you kind of have to go to lectures and you have to take exams, it allows you to take the learning at your own pace and it allows you also to customize that and really tailor that to your areas of interest. So almost like elective study at university, but in a much more informal capacity. Yeah, I'm really into it as well. I think it's great for things like, so for example, you know, the online or the digital landscape, which is changing so quickly. Um, It's really great because you can just find a segment or a topic and really skill yourself up on something, which is awesome, you know, and there's some really, you know, really great people presenting as well that have, you know, obviously, you know, it's real life and real work, you know, they're they're actually in the field. I've been surprised with the the level of quality, which is why I've persisted, you know, Um, again, we we were sort of blessed within American Express that they've offered this as a benefit to to colleagues within the company that we could enroll in LinkedIn Learning. And so I, I I tried it out and I'll be honest, I didn't expect a lot from that. Um, but I've found that I've now blocked an hour in my diary every week so that I'm continually upskilling and learning more about something that I'm interested in, which is great. And I think the point of everything that you've just said is right. In our industry, if you're not evolving, you're just going backwards basically. So, you know, before all the digital came on and we just did face-to-face events, you know, even then, you know, there was obviously just the conventional ways to learn, but now there's just so much, so everything moves so quickly. And once, you know, a particular format's done, there's something around the corner about to change. So you've got to be across it. Yeah. On to some of your amazing live experiences. You've been at the helm of some pretty cool ones and some pretty effective and successful ones in your current role. Can you, or, you know, even previously, can you tell us about one project that you're most proud of and why? 
I actually wanted to give you an example from something that I've done with my side hustle for Whiskey Uncovered, which I know we'll talk about back in 2018. But hopefully this really resonates with all the marketers, the experiential marketers, the events people out there. I particularly, Francesca, I've always been enamored by the aspect of sensory in designing experiences. You know, as I said before, it's ultimately about how you engage with people at an emotional level and stimulating all of the, all the five senses as you're curating experiences is a great way to do that. Anyway, I, I'd heard about these Danish musicians. They go by the name Whiskey Sound um, and they take sounds and textures from nature or man-made sounds and they associate them with flavours and aromas in whiskey. Uh, what they then do is they compose music and then they perform that music which essentially brings the whiskey to life as a musical composition. Now, I was so blown away by this concept and I'm like, surely we can't convert textures and sounds to flavours and, and, and all that with whiskey. I was so excited to meet these guys. Next thing I knew, I was sitting in Copenhagen, sitting in their tiny studio because they're, they're in Denmark, sipping single malt whiskey and workshopping an Australian tour with these guys. Oh, my God. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's huge, right? So I, I then... It's like organized. the ABBA of whiskey, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, I guess. Um, but I, I ended up flying them and their families out to Sydney and we did this incredible four-concert tour. I called it Spring Symphony. So we essentially had five courses and then five musical movements, which they composed. And we had concerts in the city uh, here in Sydney and then some in the countryside at a place called Joadja Distillery down in the Southern Highlands. Um, and we were working in partnership with a Scotch malt whiskey brand called the Balvenie. Um, so hopefully if there's a few whiskey appreciators out there who'll know the Balvenie. We created some, some incredible stuff. You know, it was one of those moments where you have people sitting there, they come into an experience, they don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but it just kind of un unravels in front of them. And a number of people have just come up to me since the experience or after that and just said how they'd never been to anything like it. And I, I think actually it was a, an actual world first. It's definitely redefined the idea of what a live experience could be like, certainly like a food and beverage-based one, and it was a, a real solidifier for my, my base. It was huge. You know, it's very immersive, this experience, and was it like a pre-sort of fabricated performance that they already had worked out or was it quite sort of a bit choose-your-own-journey with the audience? Did they get sort of any engagement in it? What, what was? I'm just trying to understand, like, how, how did they convert these textures into – give us an example of something that happened. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a bit abstract and completely fair questions. So in terms of the, the planning process – so when I was sitting, for example, with Niels and Nikolai, the, the two gentlemen from, from Copenhagen, we'd sit in their studio uh, and Niels would be playing his viola and Nikolai is on the, uh, the keyboards and the, the electric keyboards and so forth, the percussion, and we'll, we'll try a whiskey and we'll, we'll try and think about, you know, the, the feeling, for example, of warmth that it might generate or is it slightly tannic or is it, you know, acerbic in some way um, and we would associate that with a – I guess like a graphical flow or a color or something, you know, that might be man-made or, or from nature. And so essentially the Whiskey Sound guys came up with a bit of a template. And then so certain flavors, certain textures would represent sounds, styles of sounds, the pitch of or the tempo of a certain sound, you know, whether it had a lot of bass or not as much bass. And so ultimately they, they, would, they had composed these five musical movements, which was Spring Symphony, before they came out to Australia and then they performed those live 
but a very big part of the experience was getting engagement. So what we tried to sort of teach the audience was that it was okay not to be looking on your phone all the time, not to be completely engaged all your time. We really encourage people to just sit, enjoy some silence, close their eyes, and just let their imagination kind of wander as they sample the whiskey and the food together. Yeah, let something hook into them. And for some people, some of the experience would, would some of the pieces would have been more powerful than others, wouldn't they? Because every different things resonate with different people. Well, creating a, a, a symphony, I mean, this wasn't a technically a symphony, but that's the marketing term, but creating a, a body of musical work is just like writing a menu or writing a, a book. You know, you, you want to have a beginning, a middle and an end, mm. and you want to take people on an emotional journey, absolutely. Going into it, you want to make them feel a certain way. Midway through, again, you want to take them to a certain place, and, and by the end, you want to leave them with a certain result. So, you know, it's very much like a menu uh, in a restaurant would be as well. This is Events Unpacked, your number one guide to organising a successful event. Right. So thanks for sharing that. How do you define success of an event and experience? That was my next question. And I think you've kind of answered that already because it's all about the emotional engagement. You know, we're not going to talk about, you know, obviously analytics, we said that, but it's more, you know, when you report back to stakeholders, Amex or yourself with Whiskey Uncovered, when do you know you've, you know, hit the nail on the head and reached your goals and have really awesome ROI? Well, it's interesting what you said before about the marketing mix because I think it's important to appreciate the role that experiences play in that mix. I think that to define an event or an experience as successful, it has to move the needle of of a relationship or relationships in a positive direction. An event is like a project and that's made up of many small tasks. So small things can and often do go wrong with the plan, but overall the movement or the message behind what you've curated can still get across. And so in that way, experiences are quite different from, for example, you know, other marketing or sales campaigns where you're measuring by the amount of leads generated, the amount of conversions, the amount of sales and, and, and so on. Is it often about, you know, like building this community or tribe around the brand? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting concept. I mean, my role is about deepening relationships and that's about with customers and, and a lot of our customers are advocates some of us are not quite at that point in the funnel, but also a lot of the people that we're designing for are not customers. In fact, they could be the opposite of advocates, you know? And so it's, it's our job to try and try and move that needle. I think the American Express brand is at a really interesting place, Francesca, as well. It relaunched about two or three years ago. You know, 160-year-old brand has a, a lot of tradition associated with it. But the cool thing about the relaunch was it kind of – formally recognize that the lines between work and life are blurred. You know, I I work in a B2B space, a traditional B2B space, but there's no work-life balance anymore. It's just life, right? Where we're working all the time. So what was really refreshing about that as a marketer was that we were able to finally create campaigns and, and speak with people like they were human beings rather than just businesses. So to your point about tribes, I think, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're working very closely with our consumer colleagues and our, our colleagues in the, in the um, accepting merchant accepting division as well because we have a lot of the same objectives and a lot of our customers, a lot of our potential customers are the same people. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, people live, you know, especially people that are in, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners, 
there definitely is no work-life balance. I know speaking for myself, you know, that uh, you're always on and it's always in the back of your mind and, you know, you're always checking in. So a product such as American Express obviously is part of people's life all the way through from work to, you know, their social life and family and what they're doing on holidays or everywhere, basically. Uh, So time for the epic fail part of the show. (laughs) Uh, it's a funny question, but people, it's one of the big questions. If I'm ever meeting people and they ask about the industry, people always want to say, oh, tell us when something went wrong or when was there a challenge and how did, you know, they weren't really saying how do you solve it or whatever, but they kind of, they see, I guess what you're saying at the beginning that, you know, you are putting your head on your block. It is quite a, a risky, you only have one shot. You know, in film, you could probably make 22 takes before you actually got the right scene. You don't get to do that in events. So people are really excited and interested in that side of the the business. So have, you know, but from my point of view, they're the times when you actually learn a lot. So if have you got something you could share with us potentially? Yeah, definitely. Look, I'd like to flip this question on its head a little bit and, and I think it would be remiss of me uh, and I appreciate people are probably a little bit COVID-saturated, but, you know, mm. this, this period was, was a huge learning period for us. And so I'd like to reflect on that for a few moments if I can. You know, 2020 experiences, face-to-face experiences, didn't just slow down as a marketing channel. Like come mid-March when everyone went into lockdown, it just fell off a cliff, right? So we had to, and this is probably the biggest buzzword of 2020, we had to pivot. We had to do things differently. And so sorry for anyone who's heard that word too many times. Um, But I want to give a big shout-out to one of our senior leaders, actually. He's a guy called Clayton Rubensald. He's the SVP here at Amex in charge of commercial marketing and, you know, Clayton's an absolute legend, a big supporter of Experiential. Uh, so hopefully he, he listens to this. But we jumped on a call, you know, Francesca, shortly after lockdown. And Clayton said, look, I know it's a really tricky time for everyone. In particular, the Experiential channel has kind of been decimated. But I don't want you to fill your diary with meetings. Don't just do this to make yourself feel busy, to make yourself feel relevant and needed. He said, just stop, pause, reflect. Take some time to think differently and, and innovate. You know, how can we continue to do all these things that we want to do? Because the tenets of experiential stay the same, right? We just didn't have that in-person channel. And so we did that. We, we stopped and that was, i got to tell you, really nice for the soul just to have a little bit of white space for a while. But what that resulted in uh, internally, Francesca, was focus on, yes, digital experiences, but then the creation of something really special. So we worked on a project called Amex Campus last year and it was all based off the premise that, you know, we didn't just want to do what a lot of other companies and brands were doing, which was a a bit of a knee-jerk reaction and just creating webinar after webinar after webinar and just replicating this experience of like being on a a WebEx or like a, a, a Teams call. It kind of felt like we were regressing to the 1990s, you know. It was almost like you get a a webinar invitation in your inbox and your eye starts twitching and you like immediately delete the email because it's just <laughs> getting like t- 10 of these every day. But anyway, so we, we worked on this Amex campus project, which is essentially an immersive three-dimensional environment in which our customers or, or, or event attendees could come in and still engage with American Express, engage with others, engage with you know, their, their peers in different industries and roles, but also consume content. And you know what? We, we learned a lot in year one. I think um, before this change, before this catalyst, 95% of what we did was in person. I'm not, not sure what it was like for you guys, but 
it definitely showed us what to do and what not to do. Um, and, you know, that whole webinar format is, is really, really tired. So that experience that we had and that traumatic time, I mean, it's traumatic for everyone, but for experiential in particular, it definitely opened our eyes to what can be achieved with tech and what can be achieved with either a wholly virtual or a hybrid experience. Yeah, I mean, it has to feel, it probably sounds wrong, but natural in a way for the audience or the people connecting. I felt like a lot of things that happened during COVID were kind of almost desperate. You know, it felt like it was suppliers or people just trying to make something out of nothing, you know, and, you know, just it, it, a lot of it fell flat, I thought. Yeah, look, I get that. You know, you want to keep in, in touch with your customers. You want to see how they're doing. And I think a lot of that activity was well-meaning, like it came from the right place. But the problem is when when you're not living in a vacuum, when you're surrounded by hundreds of other companies and brands doing the same thing, it can actually be detrimental to your yeah, relationships. So you need to think about how to differentiate. Definitely. So you have some interesting side projects, Matt. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about one of them first, being Whiskey Uncovered? I thought you'd never ask, Francesca. Thank you very much. <laughs> is it too early for whiskey? <laughs> Probably, but not, not too early to talk about it. So that, that's all good. Definitely five o'clock somewhere. Look, I, I started Whiskey Uncovered about five years ago. Um, the reason why I did that was because I wasn't getting that creative outlet in the day-to-day job that I was doing. You know, that day-to-day job was was paying the bills, supporting my family and all that good stuff, but it wasn't scratching that creative itch, which, which I've always had. So the idea behind Whiskey Uncovered is we create experiences that are coupled with uh, the pairing of whiskey and food, but we try and do it in a really, really relaxed way. You know, we want guests who come along to feel like they're sharing a drink with their mates or having a meal around the family table. And the idea for Whiskey Uncovered was inspired by something that my wife, Jocelyn, and I love to do, which is going out for food and wine degustations. Always been inspired and amazed by the creativity and the thought that goes into it. There's a bit of theatre behind it, you know, with the chefs bringing the food out to the table. And I thought to myself, you know, why can't I do that with whiskey? But I definitely wanted to take out that stuffiness that kind of comes along with that traditional fine dining experience. So for us, you know, there's so many whiskey tastings out there. And again, whiskey's become quite a hipster pursuit, you know, like uh, craft beer or, or gin distilling. But for us, we're trying to offer that social experience, as I said, that really relaxed social experience. So it's quite different from a traditional whiskey tasting where you go along and the, the ambassador's like, okay, smell the whiskey. Is this what you get? You know, yep, yeah, okay, move on to the next one. Very serious. So, yeah, that, that is very serious. But what we're doing, although we, we do take it seriously, it's a much more whimsical approach. And, you know, we, we try to position the food still at a fine dining level. You know, one of the things that I love doing the most about it, Francesca, actually, is working with different chefs, working with different restaurants around Sydney and Melbourne and learning about these chefs and these incredibly talented people and helping to tell their story through the experiences that we do. They work so hard, don't they, those chefs? You just don't realise. Do you realise they have like one day off a week? (laughs) I've got to tell you, I mean, we, we did an experience with a, a, a patisserie here in Sydney called Textbook Patisserie not long ago, and that was working with a pastry chef. His name's John Raleigh, exceptionally talented guy and, and John's team. I already had, to your point, I had a huge respect for chefs already. It's a very, very tough role. And in this age of master chefs and so forth, maybe 1% of all the chefs out there actually get the platform that I think that they would deserve. But I have to say, after working with a pastry chef, 
in particular and seeing the intricacy and the skills that they turn these things out over and over and over again, it's just incredible. It's absolutely uh, captivated me. We'll have to reference textbook patisserie in the show notes somewhere, I think, because I'm, I'm feeling like a pastry now. <laughs> That'd be good. And they do sweet and savoury. So after doing Whiskey Uncovered for five years, uh, we're actually now branching out to some other spirits as well. So we actually have an event with Hendrix Gin coming up in May. <gasps> I'm coming. Which is really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I love Hendrix Gin. But I, I mean, I love, I mean, I haven't really um, embraced whiskey to its full potential yet, but I know that whiskey takes a lot longer to make. So there's a lot of gin companies springing up left, right and centre, but whiskey is a very different process, isn't it? Yeah, it is a different process. It, it has a lot of tradition, you know, particularly in Scotland, associated with it. And, you know, while people take it seriously here in Australia, I think one of the reasons why Whiskey Uncovered has been so successful is because we do like to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, my mascot for Whiskey Uncovered is actually a rubber chicken. His name is Steggles. So you can check us out on social media and, and you'll get a sense of kind of where we go with that. I can hear giggling in the background there, Francesca. But, you know, what's cool about it is, not only is it fun, but it actually allows me to indulge a slightly eccentric side of my personality as well. So I still get to design experiences, but I do it in a way that's completely on my terms, which is really cool. You've got to break out sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So inspiration can come from anywhere. How do you keep yourself inspired? Oh, it's pretty simple, actually. I find that my daily tonic is running. So I, I, as I mentioned at the start of the interview, um, happily married. We, we've got two great kids, but they keep us really busy. My wife's a small business owner. I have a full-time job as well as the side hustle. It's just a busy, busy life. And I find that getting out- And you're eating a lot of food and drinking. Hello, you have to run like 40 kilometers. <laughs> well, that's that's the other thing. It balances out all the degustations as well. What is my, my friend says, no jog, no grog. <laughs> that's good I'll have to use that one but you know running is good from a um, uh, a health perspective as you say and, and, and balance of, of fitness but actually for me what it really does is it helps to clear my head it gives me you know lucidity when I'm out running and probably sort of a few three or four k's into the run I suddenly I have this amazing clarity of thought and I get really really inspired I actually get my best ideas when I'm out running so that's that's it for me yeah, so I, I picked up ocean swimming during COVID and it's, it's the same. But the reason that those kind of disciplines or activities are quite good is you can't talk to anyone. So you actually, you know, being an event professional or a creative, you know, you're either managing suppliers or agencies or working with customers, it just takes you away a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you need that escape. I did notice the, uh, the ocean swimming. I was mm. going to ask you about that. I saw that on your Instagram. Yeah, I mean that was purely just during COVID. It was um, it was funny because I signed up for Cantu, which was the cancer raising. They teach you how to ocean swim, and I hated it. I just hated it. But then when things were downsized with the uh, with the Vent Emporium and the agency a little bit during COVID, and you know obviously we were pivoting, but you know it wasn't the same volume of work. I was like, right, I need to get my head out of this as well, and you know do something for the soul, like you were saying before. And trust me, when you're swimming a kilometer or two out to sea, you're probably not thinking about the business much. You're just sort of <laughs> in the zone saying, what was that, what was that shadow? Oh, I hope there's no, you know, rip here. Can I get back in? You know, so you really, it does actually force you to be completely, you know, separate to whatever else is going on in your life. It's extremely meditative, you know. So if you can get past your fear of sharks, I suggest it to anyone. It's really good. Oh, good for you. I, I think I'm going to stay on dry land. Sharks are my big note, but uh, yeah, you go for it. You're a land man. You're a <laughs> land, land man. man. 
So um, you've answered some of your interests when not at work. Like, um, you know, what do you do in your spare time besides, you know, obviously running to stay fit? Uh, have you got any other interests? You probably don't have time for them, right? <laughs> That's pretty much it. You know, running, I, I, I love listening to music, uh, performing music. Um, so music and, and playing instruments is something which I've done since uh, since I was a kid. So what do you uh, play? So I play piano and bass guitar, mm. um, but more actively piano at the moment. And, and, again, I find that quite therapeutic. Jocelyn and I purchased the piano so our kids could, could learn and I hadn't sort of picked it up in, you know, 20 years, Francesca, but I find that all of the knowledge is still there and it's been great to, to be playing again. Yeah, music is just incredible. I mean, do you miss live music? Do you go to that very often when you know when we're allowed again? Yeah, I absolutely will. Yeah, and and I'm you know concerts here in Australia are starting to come back, so it's uh, really encouraging signs. I know that's been my biggest. I think that's the, probably the biggest thing that I've missed during COVID is the music. Um, one piece of advice would you give someone wanting to break into live marketing and experiences and events? We touched on this before, but it's really about professional development, yes, but it's really about investing in your creative side. I, I think that creativity, it's going to take you a long way in life, you know, particularly in this industry. But think, you know, thinking creatively is, is, a, is a great skill to have. But I think more than that as well, Francesca, just identifying what your passion is. So for anyone who's sitting out there thinking, I want a job at events, I'd maybe just throw the question back at you and say, well, actually, what are you passionate about? I spent a lot of my career working in roles that I was not passionate about. I did it for the money. I did it to support my family. And that's all well and good. But if you can find a place where you can do both, where you have the passion and the paycheck, that's my advice to all of you. You know, it's events is a hard industry. It's really fast paced. So you really do have to love it. Um, and that, that would be my advice for anything. Yeah, I think what, you know, if I had to summarise yourself, I would say that it's the combination of your love because even at American Express it's all around the food and, you know, the culinary experience. So that side of things combined with storytelling. Storytelling is is a massive part of experiential and, and working in events. And if you're looking to design an experience that engages with people emotionally, bring them on the journey with you. So, Matt, a question around the future. Uh, I'm not asking you to predict the future, but what excites you most about the future of life experiences? Well, I think people's perceptions of what a live experience can be since COVID-19 hit have really changed. So right now, you know, it's a very raw, sensitive time where the focus is on safety and the focus is on intimacy, and that's because of the social distancing regulations that everywhere has. But I actually think that's really good for experiences because it encourages shareability. And when I say shareability, I don't mean like the social media, Instagram moment, you know, likes and engagement shareability. I mean sharing the experience with someone that you care about or who cares about you. And for me, that's really going to be key going forward. You know, the fact that everyone is so digitally saturated and socially starved after being behind screens for 12 months means we can really focus on you know, getting back to that manual side, that authentic side of humanity. So it's more about adding like depth to what we offer to our clients. Great. So my last question for you is just a bit of a fun one. If you could only drink one last drink, what would it be? 
Okay. Uh, I'm going to give the 10 a.m. and the 10 p.m. version for this. So, Ooh, so exciting. Non-alcoholic is, is tea. Um, so tea I find like exceptionally relaxing and you know, there's so many different variants. Actually, tea is an interesting one because when you're trying to think about universal truths and you're designing for multiple cultures, actually tea is one of those things that every country has their own uh, version of. So there's a little tip for anyone who's looking to design an experience for multiple markets, Mm. use tea as an anchor. What's some of your tea rituals? I'm a very boring tea guy. I'm just like uh, a black tea, just the most boring standard tea you can find. I just like a cup of tea in the morning with a couple of sugars but I think it's situational as well, Francesca. Like we've used like uh, some Chinese silver needle tea and experiences as a palate cleanser before. There's a whole bunch of different options that you have. But for me, I'm just a very basic guy. Oh, see, there you go. You've got to be boring in one area, Matt, because you're not really that boring in any <laughs> others. I love green tea and I have my whole ritual. I have this sort of plunger thing that I got from uh, T2, which is like you sit it on top of the cup and I fill it with green tea, like actual leaves, go out to the garden and cut some lemon balm and some mint and then I chop ginger into it and I sit it in there and you can reuse the leaves again and again and it's just, I don't know, there's something about that ritual that has me. (laughs) That's a bit fancy too. I I I like that. It's good. And so alcoholic. Oh, alcoholic, yeah. So for me it's it's a Negroni. A Negroni for anyone who doesn't know is is a cocktail made of three ingredients all in equal measure. It's just gin, Campari and sweet vermouth. What I love about the drink is its simplicity. It's a great aperitif, you know, pre-dinner. But also it's kind of cool because, you know, it is it is gin-based. And so sort of linking back to like how you can support small business here in Australia, there are so many craft distilleries popping up or already popped up. So it's one of those drinks where you can experiment with different gins too and, and experiment with different flavors. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, it's been a lot of fun today. And um, thank you so much for generously sharing, you know, your life experience, your work experience, and, you know, all um, your side hustles as well with everyone. Can't wait to see what uh, next events Whiskey Uncovered has as well. Thanks, Francesca. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, always love chatting with you and, and we're looking forward to continuing to partner with you. Yeah, in the excellent. How can listeners follow you or get in touch? Well, a couple of, couple of ways. So, look, I'd love to hear from everyone on LinkedIn. Uh, so, Matt Whisker, please reach out if there's anything that we've chatted through today that's of interest to you. I'd love to hear from people in the industry, outside of the industry, or if you'd like to collaborate with, with me, whether it's American Express or in the Whiskey Uncovered context, you know, please reach out and, and we'd love to We'd love to chat. Um, in the Whiskey Uncovered side, you can find us on Instagram, just at Whiskey Uncovered, no E in whiskey, uh, and, of course, Facebook as well. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure people will be getting in touch and uh, hopefully you'll get some more um, people to your tribal community at Whiskey Uncovered. Thanks, Francesca. That's awesome. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Events Unpacked podcast. Head over to francescapescops.com and access all the tools and resources discussed in today's show. That's francescapescops.com. Until the next time, hit subscribe and have a nice day.